All right. Uh, there we go. Are we good? Yep. Awesome. Um, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome again to Connect Church. Uh, we are glad that you're here. Um, it's exciting this morning. Uh, the passage of Scripture that we have is beautiful. It is um, uh, so incredibly deep that you could spend a, a lot of time on these verses we have this morning. Um, the, the great thing about the way we, we try and what we believe to be the proper way to handle, you know, teaching Scripture from the pulpit, you know, we go, as Dad says, you know, um, and uh, we move through each book, uh, and, and we move through it together, and what that allows us to do, it allows us to keep the picture of the book um, uh, with, with itself. We're not kind of disjointed in how we handle it. So when we come to our text today, a common text, it's a familiar text. Uh, many people will have portions of this memorized. Uh, it's a great thing, though, that we get to look at it today, kind of in the flow of Romans chapter 8, uh, and in context of what we saw last week. And then as we build moving forward, um, <clears throat> we, we are going to pick up where Thad left off last week, and that means we're going to start in verse 26, and we're going to go through verse 30 today. Um, we're only looking at those four verses, but as I said, they're incredibly deep. It's such an amazing passage of Scripture, and, and I want to share with you just why, why it is so. Um, I think we all would agree with the statement that uh, life can be difficult. Um, I'm, not, I'm not making a reach on that assessment. Uh, as we saw in our passage last week, uh, we're all experiencing each day, each week, and every year of our life that groaning that Thad covered, that Paul was speaking about. All of creation is groaning under sin. The earth won't last forever. The sun won't last forever. You and I won't last forever. There's a common weight and effect for the presence of sin in this world in our life. Um, a silly little analogy, but it came to me while I was thinking of this, and I, I'm imagining most of you will share this at some point in time, but probably when you're younger, anyone been in a vehicle that uh, while you're driving it, you've ran out of gas. Um, you know, and I'm not talking about that it caught you off guard, but more of that, uh, I think I can make it, but in your heart you know I'm not making it. And I, I was in a car one time, and we were... Going, we were going on the way to the gas station, and you just know, like, you're not going to make this thing. So eventually you hear it sputter a little bit, and you know that you're just coasting. You know, just let me make it to a pump. Uh, so I was with my friend Thomas. We're in his uh, Pathfinder at the time, and we're, we're out of gas. We're just coasting. We're on Horner Boulevard. It's a car lot now. It used to be like a Sitco on the right, right there past, like, um, Little Caesars and all that. And like, just let us make it in here. And, like, we coast in that parking lot. We make it to a pump. We're on the wrong side of the tank. So uh, it was, it was total, total failure on that regard. But uh, the, the feeling of that, of how we're, we're under this weakness, we're under this bondage of sin, and, like, we're just longing for that restoration and that redemption that we find in Christ. Much like when you're coasting, you're like, I just need that gas. If I get that gas, we're good to go. The car's going to run just fine. It's a silly analogy, but it lets you kind of feel how in our spirit we're, we're broken. And we feel that every day. And, and the context of 
our problems in life and all things that we go through, we're broken. And what it's doing is we're longing. And we're longing for that redemption. And, and the reason why it's so important that we root all that we do in God's word is that outside of God's word, outside of uh, God the Father, His Spirit, and His Son, this world is going to offer you a lot of solutions for that brokenness. It's going to offer you a lot of vessels of hope that you can put your life in. And if we had time and we shared everyone's story here, I imagine we would all come to a fairly similar conclusion in that those things of the world, it's not a true statement. What they're selling you isn't true. It's not real. Uh, It may last for a brief while, but it doesn't sustain. And it doesn't move us closer to that redemption and that restoration that our hearts, our spirit is longing for. So today, we get to see this great hope laid out. And we're actually going to see three uh, truths that we can find hope in as we wait for eternity. And it's not overstating it to say that in our text today, we see an answer either specifically or in context to any problem that we're going to endure in this life. So the truth we see today, it is not burdensome. It's burden-relieving. When we don't know why things unfold the way they do, our text today can answer that question. When you don't understand the aim of your life, our text today can answer that question. But that does not mean that the answers we receive are easy. Uh, Paul certainly understood the burden-removing, the joy-giving, the freedom that comes from the truth we have in God's Word today. He wrote these things down. But that didn't make his numerous beatings, his jailing, his sufferings easier. So before we move on, I want to give you just a little bit of this. One thing at Connect Church, uh, we, we talk about often is closed-hand and open-hand theology. And I briefly just want to mention this to you. What that means is that some theological beliefs we believe to be close-handed. We hold them tightly and firmly, and we're unwavering in that. We hold them tightly because we believe Scripture provides sufficient guidance for that. And basically what we're saying is we believe that affirmation of those beliefs would be necessary for someone to be a genuine follower of Jesus Christ. And on the other side, we have open-handed beliefs. And they're exactly what they're sound. These are items that are are essentially up for discussion. We would not believe that affirmation or agreement is necessary for someone to be a a genuine believer of Christ. So I share that with you because our text today is very significant. It's a very significant text in the study of salvation. Our time today is not looking at this exclusively. We're not spending our time today breaking down the points of uh, Calvinist and Armenian beliefs in terms to salvation. We're not going to form an argument for either one this morning. And I hope when we're done, that's clear. And the reason we're not doing that this morning is because we're looking at this in the context of the passage that we have. We're going through Romans chapter 8. If you want, and if your heart is eager, if you're, if you're wanting to learn, you can do a study on the, on the doctrine of salvation. And you're going to come to Romans chapter 8. You're going to come to Romans chapter 8, 28, 29, and 30. You're going to come to these verses. But whether or not 
we, as, as a position of Connect Church, whether or not you fall on a Calvinist point of view or an Armenian point of view, we would consider that to be an open-hand doctrine here at Connect. So we can share in the joy of Christ, and that causes no disagreement as a believer here at this church. So let's read our text for today, and then go to the Lord in prayer, if you will. Uh, Romans eight twenty six. Hannah, I believe, will have it on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, uh, look in the chairs in front of you or to, to the side of you, and you can grab one there. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me here? Uh, Father, I ask that our, um, our time this morning would, would honor you. Um, I pray for your spirit now, Lord, to uh, speak through your words that uh, our, our ears, our minds, our hearts would be open to what you have for us today. God, I pray that we would see the hope that we can find in these verses in that uh, our hearts that are hurting, our spirits that are broken uh, can find a measure of hope in that. Um, Lord, I pray for each one of us here. I pray that uh, the temptations of this world uh, would be at bay. I pray that our uh, that your spirit in us would be working and growing uh, fruit in our life, Father, for your glory. Um, that we would be used for your kingdom. Uh, be with us, Father. I speak from your word. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So as we look into these verses and as we, we begin going through these, uh, keep in mind one thing, if you will. Relationship here matters. Uh, and that's, that's the context here does matter. Um, parents in the room, some of you have children, uh, you, you can speak and you can interact with that child in a way that you don't, you don't let other people do, right? You know, I have a little boy, he's one, like, oh yeah, he gets in trouble all the time. I just spank him, like, it seems like all the time. You know, he's just always into something. But it's like, you know, I don't let other people just walk up and just hit my kid. You know, you can't do that. Um, there, there's a difference there. The relationship is important. Um, and in the same vein, there's a relationship between us and between God. God is the Father. God is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Every one of us in here, we were created. The reason we're we're talking about this relationship and the context of this, our text today can produce in us a feeling of uneasiness. And all the things I said before, they're true. When we rightly understand what God's putting forth in his, his word today, we should feel incredible joy and gratitude in response. But if we don't rightly understand 
or if someone isn't handling that passage correctly, it can feel more like a weapon than a loving gift, especially verses 28, 29, and 30. And that's not accurate. And our goal and our hope today is to see how deep God's love is for his children through this passage, to remember that the relationship matters. So in this passage, we have this depth. It's going to produce questions inside of us, and we have to remember the difference between God and us. We are not on the level of the one who created and sustains all things. We are finite, and he is infinite. That will mean that there are mysteries in this life that we're not always fully able to grasp perfectly, and that's okay. Uh, A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, sums it up very perfectly. He said, uh, the human mind being created has an understandable uneasiness about the one who is uncreated. It's, just, it's a different ball game. You're not on the same field. So for us, there is a mystery involved in some things that we're just never going to understand perfectly all the time, and that is okay. As, as our scripture last week told us, we hope not by things we see, but by faith. So we begin in verse 26 today, and it perfectly illustrates this difference between us and God. And it brings us our first uh, truth for our hope that we're going to have today. So verse 26 again, uh, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So how beautiful and how gracious are those words. Previously, we're looking at the instinctive groaning and weight that we're carrying. All of creation is carrying it. How we're longing for redemption, not by sight, but by hope. Hope that will sustain us to wait for the ultimate culmination of our faith. So in that same manner, meaning that we're not physically seeing this happening, but likewise it is sustaining us. The Spirit is helping us in our weakness. And that word for help simply means to bear a burden along with. The Spirit bears with us our burden, our human condition. The Spirit then, as we see in verse 26, means we are unable to pray as we ought. Now Paul isn't saying here that we are unable to pray in a right format. It's about the content of our prayers. Douglas Moo Uh, wrote a commentary in the book of Romans, and he writes this. He says, it's not the manner or the style of prayer that Paul has in view, but the content or the object of prayer, what we are to pray for. So what Paul has in mind here is that due to our continual weakness, our condition, we're unable to always discern the will of God and the many things we're praying for. And God in his kindness has his spirit then overcome this weakness by his intercession. This is a ministry of intercession that takes place in our heart in a manner that is imperceptible to us. Again, Moo would say this, I take it that Paul is saying then that our failure to know God's will and consequently inability to petition God specifically and assuredly is met by God's spirit who himself expresses to God those intercessory petitions that perfectly match the will of God. When we do not know what to pray for, yes, even when we pray for things that are not best for us, we need not despair. For we can depend on the Spirit's ministry of perfect intercession on our behalf. And that's great news, church. 
that's great news, and there's hope there that provides us as believers uh, hope that will sustain us. And we look at verse 27, and we get to see how effective that intercession is. If you would look at verse 27, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So the names here can make this potentially a little more confusing than what it should be, but it begins with a phrase, he who searches hearts. So who is that referring to? In a couple places in Scripture, we're going to see this same phrase used. Uh, one is Psalm 139.23, and that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And you also have the same language used in Jeremiah 17, verse 10. And this is God speaking, and it says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So he who searches hearts is clearly referring to God the Father. That's very important because we see this beautiful picture of harmony here between God the Father and the Spirit. And that's good news for us because the Spirit is working on our behalf. God who sees into the inner being of people where the Spirit's ministry of intercession takes place knows, he acknowledges, and responds to those intentions of the Spirit that are expressed in his prayers on our behalf. Where we, as broken sinners, are unable to pray as we ought, the Spirit is interceding for us in accordance with God's will. And the unity between the Spirit and God gives us confidence in the intercessions of the Spirit. And in that confidence, we find hope. So that's our first truth today that we have in our passage that is given to us for our hope, and that is that the Spirit is working in our weakness on our behalf and our prayers and our petitions to God the Father. Where we know not what we should pray, and when we pray for the wrong things, the Spirit is working on our behalf. Our second truth we're going to find in uh, verse 28 here. So we're going to move along. Romans 8, 28. Uh, this is a verse you're, you're probably familiar with. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So remember back last week. Remember the groaning, the suffering that is experienced by creation, by believers. And in that, we're longing for, we're expecting, we're looking toward our redemption, our reunion with Christ. So while our first two verses today gave us one truth that should give us joy and hope as we wait for that day, now in verse 28, we have another truth here that should also produce joy and hope in our heart. However, sadly, in our culture today, uh, we can take this verse and we can turn it a lot of different ways. Sometimes how we turn this is going to lead to bitterness and disappointment welling up in our hearts. We find this verse on coffee cups. Uh, we find it on t-shirts. It's everywhere. It's, it's a life verse, as Dad mentioned earlier in Romans 8. It's vitally important that we properly understand the purpose of Romans 8.28, the truth it has. Paul's moving on here from focusing on the Spirit. He's now speaking of those who love God. So that's going to serve as a qualifier here for who this truth applies to. Who loves God? 
That's a church. That's the believers in Jesus Christ. Broadly, that is God's people. That's Christ's bride. The truth found after this is applicable to God's people. What truth, what promise then does this verse give us? And it's simply that all things work together for good. The word for all things is not confusing. It's pos, which means everything. It means all things. Verse 28 says all things work together for good. And it's not restricting anything. And that provides us as believers a hope in all things, a hope in every season of life. Anything that is a part of this life, suffering, sin, blessings, good fortune, can by God's grace contribute towards the good promised here. And it's easy for our minds to understand how all things work together for our good if we're talking about blessings and we're talking about gifts. But what hope does this give us in our seasons of hurt and disappointment and loss and discouragement? Because as in life, we don't, we don't stay in just season of blessing. We stay in blessing, we move to discouragement, we have disappointment. Our life isn't a flat traverse. So we have to talk about what this good is referencing, what it means. I think it's very clear that Paul does not mean that the evil experienced in our life, that the discouragement, the pain, the hurt, the things we experience uh, in this life will always be reversed and turned into something good. That's not what he means. Uh, That would be great, but that's not what's being told here. However, the sufferings, the longings, the hurt that we experience here most often will only contribute to our good by refining our faith and strengthening our hope in eternity. How we choose to define good, it has to be on God's terms and not our own. There's an obvious perversion of this truth that runs around today uh, and that flies that the believer is to be blessed with material wealth and or physical well-being. That's not the promise we have here. That's not the promise we see at all in Scripture. The Lord does bless us. The Lord is kind. The Lord does love his children. And we have those moments of blessing. But that doesn't mean that our life on this earth will be marked by abundance. The promise to believers is that there is nothing in this world that is not intended by God to guide us on our path to the redemption and righteousness we will experience in eternity as God's people. And that's the second truth that we have for our eternal hope. That all of the paths we travel in life, God will intend them to direct us toward our sanctification, our reunion with Christ at, at, the, at the coming return. And as verse 28 began with a qualifier of who that truth would apply to, it ends in the very same manner. However, from this point of view, it's, it's showing the relationship from God's side and not ours. And it's this one that gives us a reason why we know all things work for good. So this is why we can be assured of that. For those who are called according to his purpose, we know all things work for good because we who love God are also those 
who have been summoned by God to enter into relationship with him. A summons that in accordance with God's purpose to mold us into the image of Christ and to glorify us. Us who are called then, as verse 28 would say, describes Christians not as a recipient of an invitation that was up to you or I to reject, but as a recipient of the effectual summoning to become the recipient of grace. We receive the summoning according to his purpose and not ours. Summon according to God's plan. The believers, there is a particular plan for your life. And Ephesians 1 will use a lot of this same language, saying that through him we have been adopted according to his purpose. So that particular purpose for your life, believer, is that we'd be like the firstborn son, the son of God, Jesus Christ, that we would become like him and share in his glory through his salvation, his justification, and the coming sanctification. Because this is God's plan for us as we can be certain that all things will contribute toward good. Good is becoming like Christ. That's exactly what we see laid out in verses 29 and 30. And these verses will find the third and final truth that we're going to look at today. Uh, Read 29 and 30. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So this is our third truth here, that before all things, independent of anything, God knew and set in place the molding of believers into the image of Christ. That is God's people. And it's in this molding, this crafting, it was total, it was complete. From justification, sanctification, to glorification, the redemption and reunion with Christ, which we long for, which we're hoping for, it's not tied to my progress, it's not tied to your progress, it's not tied to our capability to bring it to fruition. It was from God the Father, and will be brought to fruition from God the Father. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And this is why we spoke earlier of the uniqueness of God and his relationship to us. Regardless of where we fall on predestination or free will, we must accept that God works in a capacity that you and I, as finite humans, won't always understand completely. And there's great depth in these two verses, 29 and 30. And we're not going to break these down in a manner that will present a comprehensive argument for a specific doctrine of salvation. But I want us to walk through these verses from a very basic high-level perspective as we keep in mind what we've seen in Romans chapter 8 already. So the first phrase here, those who he foreknew. Meaning that before anything, God knew something. And as we've been talking in this passage, exclusively of those who love God or God's people, that would apply here as well. God knew something particular of his people before they were people. The second thing, he also predestined. 
So from this knowledge, God predestined his people. He foreordained in them this purpose, this plan for their life to be confirmed, conformed to the image of Christ. Those he predestined, he called. And this is the effectual summoning of those he predestined into a relationship with him, God the Father. This is the point of belief in the life of a follower of Christ. Those he called, he justified. Justification. The problem of sin still affects all people, including those called by the Father. That sin must be dealt with. The life, death, and resurrection of Christ is the only suitable atonement from sin. And through that, we are justified. It's just as if we did not sin. Our sin is paid for on the cross by Jesus. It's not ours anymore. It's dealt with. And those he justified, he glorified. And as a culmination of our hope, glorification is that beautiful reunion with Christ, which we're longing for. So I want to recap with you. These are the three truths that we find today in our passage that God gives us for our our hope as we're experiencing this weight of creation, this burden of sin. We're living in weakness, groaning with creation. We have this hope. First, that while we long for redemption and encounter the sufferings of this world, while our weakness prevents us from knowing God's will perfectly, and even in our prayers we can fall short, the Spirit helps us and intercedes for us. We can have hope and confidence that the Father hears us. Our second truth, as all paths that we travel in life, God intends for them to direct us toward our sanctification. Being like the firstborn, there's a purpose within our blessings and a purpose within our suffering. And the third truth is that before you were you, God ordained this glorification, this reunion with Christ for God's people. And because it was before you were you, it means it's not on your merit. It means that you don't earn it, you don't gain it. It's all from the promise of God the Father for his people. If you would, pray with me. Uh, We're going to close in song this morning. Uh, Ben can go ahead and come on up. Father, uh, we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you that um, as we live and we, we walk through a world with uh, deceit and, and promises that fall short of, of hope and uh, fulfillment and restoration, God, uh, thank you that we're fortunate enough to have, have your, your word. Uh, Father, pray we remember that there are people that don't have your word. Prayer, our hearts were long for those people. That's where are they finding their hope? What do they put hope in? Uh, Father, I just thank you that you, you've given us this precious gift. I thank you for your spirit in us that intercedes on our behalf. Um, and I pray, God, that these, these truths uh, would, would be our hope uh, when we're hurting this world is is going to hurt us we're going to hurt others 
pray, God, that we would look to your word for that hope. God, I just pray that you would use our lives for something bigger than ordinary. And I pray you would use us for your glory. And that that, that picture, that, that plan would, would be our heart's desire. Father, speak to us and show us when we're uh, replacing you on our heart, when we're replacing you with other idols, when we're replacing your plan with our plans. Uh, would, you, would you make that known to us uh, quickly, uh, effectively? Father, and would your spirit guide us in repentance for that? Uh, I pray we would frequently be repenting, Father. Our life should be marked by repentance. Uh, we're broken world is broken. I thank you, God, that you and your divine nature and your sovereignty and your holy holy person, you knew something, you knew people before we were people, that you set in place a plan for people that would be your people, God. And that and where our minds fall short in that, I pray we would hope and trust in you, God, that you are the giver of good things and your, your hope, your goal, your, your plan for our life is our ultimate reunion with Christ and that will fulfill that longing we have. Pray we trust you for it. Thank you that it's not on what we do, it's not on how we perform, it's not on how we uh, say words in prayer, it's, it's none of those things, God, but you, uh, you set apart your people, you made a path for your people, you made a payment for their sin, you made a promise for glorification. We love you, we thank you, Lord. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.